Support for An Honest Account comes from Moneybox, the award-winning app helping people save and invest for their future. Moneybox allows you to invest with your spare change, from your morning coffee to your bus fare, rounded up to the nearest pound. Moneybox offers a range of savings and investment accounts and makes it super easy to use. All you do is sign up in minutes and get started with just one pound. Join over 200,000 people saving and investing for their future with Moneybox. You can download the app today or head to moneyboxapp.com for more details. Please remember that with all investing, your capital is at risk. And thank you to Moneybox. Welcome to An Honest Account, a podcast about how money affects our lives, our work, health, relationships and more. I'm Rachel Revis and today I'm speaking to Bola Sol. Bola describes herself as a personal finance guru. She is the founder of Rich Girl Chronicles and Refined Currency, both initiatives to let women share and learn about money. I wanted to ask Bola about Debtstagram, whether social media success leads to success in real life and whether we should really be equating money with success at all. So thank you so much, Bola, for joining me today. Um, I wanted to start by asking a phrase which I've heard you say quite a few times on YouTube and that kind of thing, and it's, there's rice at home. Yeah. And you even have it printed on a, on a, a jumper. jumper. Yeah. And I love that. And obviously, to a certain extent, we all know what it means, but I just want you to talk a little bit about why that became so important to you that phrase yeah well first of all thanks for having me you're so welcome um there's rice at home so like growing up in a african household it was literally like the famous joke is that you would be out driving with your mom and or your parents and you'd be like oh my gosh there's mcdonald's there's mcdonald's mom can we go mcdonald's and she's like yeah sure and then we're driving and we're driving and we literally just see mcdonald's pass by our eyes we're like, what's going on? And she's like, there's rice at home. Oh, she tricks you. <laughs> so she tricks you into thinking you're going to McDonald's and then you get home and there's rice at home. And I think the whole point of using that phrase now that we're older and we're making money is it actually won't kill you to stay at home and eat the food that's there. So whatever you have, whether it's pasta, whatever you eat, <laughs> yeah. it's basically like save your money and like like stay in basically. But why is it so hard? You know, when they talk about a habit takes like a month to make something a habit. Mm. I don't know how long it will take me, maybe 10 years to avoid the temptation of buying things I don't need and eating out like where we are at the moment near Peckham, like there's so many good places to eat. Mm. Do you find, do you have that struggle or do you just, have you got to a place now where where you see a bigger picture with money? I'm very grateful I've gotten to that place, but I want to say it was really recently and I don't know what it was I think it was at the beginning of the year not having a job and trying to keep up with the lifestyle I was living when I did have a job and realizing that wasn't going to work and then getting money again and still realizing that as a result of not working for the last like six months I'm still not in the financial position I need to be in to go back to that lifestyle and then making a conscious decision to say well do you really need this lifestyle for everything like what's the opportunity cost what are you 
um, by taking that lifestyle now, what are you giving up in the future? And these days it sounds crazy, but like I just like stare at old people and I'm like, <laughs> oh man, what's going to become in 40 years or, you know, who's going to help then? And what what's my pension really going to look like if I continue making these decisions? But who maybe... are the old people you're looking at? Do they have like a fur coat or do they not look like they're doing that well? I mean, um, both, both, okay. both, you know. I think I look at both and I'm like, it could be either or, but what's your, like, what am I choosing for myself today that's going to set me up, mm. you know? So how far ahead do you plan? Because I've said this quite a few times on the podcast, but I'm really bad at planning. Like, I don't see ahead more than a few months, which is bad. Mm. But how far ahead do you do you plan and think about things? I guess I'm now, okay, not really that far. Because <laughs> okay. I guess I'm now thinking till I'm, I'm about 30, but... It's so funny because me turning 30 in like two years and a bit is, I'm 27. It's literally just more like career focused. Not It actually has very little to do with um, money, but more to do with like where I'll be. So I don't plan that far ahead. But 30s is my time to make smarter investment decisions. I've spent a lot of time toying with money because I felt this was the only time in my life I could. Mm. And yeah, so I've only really planned to 30. I relate to the toying with money thing because doing anything with money is a commitment whether you I'm not saying I could afford to buy a house but if you do Mm. or if you lock it away in a pension or you invest for the long term which it should be right Mm. it is it is making a very big decision because you're you could do a million other things with the money literally so so you think when you turn 30 you'll know where to put it is that what you're saying I'm not necessarily where but it will just more be like long-term investments so maybe looking at things like bonds which um according to a conversation i had with my brother who's quite good with his finances and the great knowledge of warren buffett um bonds over long term are a better idea so that's something i would be looking into as well as i guess just different types of like index funds stocks and things like that but that's more of a risky level so my brother was basically breaking down to me yesterday in a very long conversation about having a good percentage of like safe investments to risky ones so maybe risky you invest like only 15 percent of what you put towards investing you put the majority in safe and see where everything else gets you that sounds sensible yeah and you've talked quite openly because i've done my research (laughs) you're like why are you been watching all my youtube clips um (laughs) But you've talk- done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, that's me. Um, yeah, you've talked openly about the fact that you don't have like everything sorted in, in your life yet. And, you know, you have this knowledge and you're working to implement it. But it doesn't mean that your own personal like financial situation is like 100% and you've had challenges you've talked about and stuff. Mm. And that's really interesting because it kind of sits not at odds, but it's like other personal finance gurus and experts they might not be as open about Mm. their own situation or they might want to project a certain image of having it all sorted yeah so what do you think why do you think that you yeah why are you so willing to be open about the challenges you've you've had when I guess people will be looking to you for inspiration and advice and that kind of thing I think it makes you more relatable if you talk about the things you've struggled with Um, When you speak about accomplishments too much in anything, I think it's more like, look at me, look at me. I mean, even you look at someone like Beyonce, for example, everyone's just like, yeah, like, oh yeah, queen. But when she says something like, you know, I don't know, she's gone through a 
a sticky situation that we could all go through, you know, relationships and things like that. I guess your empathy can grow for the person because you could see yourself in that position as well. And also there was somebody that um, I knew of and some of my friends, I've seen how like some of my friends and people I know maybe speak about people who look like they have it all figured out. And I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't leave the, the most positive taste for other people. So people will be like, oh, well, this girl says she bought her house under 25, but she failed to mention that it actually wasn't in London. So then it kind of felt mm. like a cop-out. Mm. And I've never wanted to be like a cop-out to say, to say, for example, I have five figures in my savings, but little, little do people know that... Um, Maybe, for example, I don't know, my family put in £9,999 and I literally put in £2 and (laughs) made it £10,001. So, um, yeah, I've never wanted to seem like I have it all together. Yeah. Do you think it's also like this British thing of not wanting to show off in any respect? I don't know. It's interesting you say um, British people not wanting to show off. I think coming from a mix of cultures, um, being black and being British... Sometimes I feel like wealth can be a confusing thing in my community because sometimes it can be having the nicest car. This also pertains to young people in general, especially with the social media age, having the nicest car, having, um, I don't know, clothes with designers and things like that. And um, whereas British culture is actually not showing how much you have. So it's such a big clash of what to do. And I think I straddled with that line for so long of, okay, what do I what do I want to look like? And how do I want to be? And I just about started to buy designers and I stopped. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be that person who is defined by their material possessions in any way. Yeah, but I guess on Instagram, you it is all about image and you have to, everyone has to show to a certain extent what they have yeah so otherwise I guess that's how you I do I'm a total granny on Instagram so I'm not like (laughs) judging but um it's kind of how you build followers isn't it because you want to project some kind of aspiration or yeah would you say yeah I get what you're saying I get that and I think that's I think it's a bittersweet because for example a lot of the things I do I'm not really using social media at the moment but a lot of the things I do, people tend to um, see it because maybe other companies I'm working with, they'll tag me. And then if I'm on it, I'll just be like, OK, like, let me tag the business as well. And people can say to me, oh, my gosh, you're doing so well. And I can just there's certain areas of my life right now that I feel totally crap about. And it just feels like if someone's like, you're doing so well, I'm like, should I burst into tears now or should I burst into tears <laughs> later? Um so yeah keeping up with the whole highlight reel which is what a lot of people call instagram is can be tough because sometimes you just need to be away from that to gather your thoughts yeah but you have like thousands of followers on instagram and your posts get you know hundreds of likes each time so how do you give me some tips like how do you how does one okay so you've got to deconnect disconnect mm, a little bit yeah but how do you actually build up a following and and does a following lead to success or financial success it can do 
there's some people who have 50,000 followers and they're not making any money. Some people have a thousand followers and they're making money. So it's just about how you market yourself and how you go out there and find opportunities. I think more recently than ever, I've been fortunate to make money, but that's because what I do is very niche. Um, I would, I don't think I'd really make money in general if it was just for being on Instagram because there's people who have tens of thousands more followers than me so it's you know why why not them why me so um in terms of building how to build just yeah find find a community keep connecting with people you know follow people back um people who are engaged with instagram and yeah you just create your own community i make it a point when i do go back on to literally like like and comment even go through insta stories see like okay who's doing what oh congratulations that's what i love about instagram it's all oh congratulations <laughs> on this or your new mm. job or this new offer or wow you just got funding or you just got married or you just had a baby and it does seem much more generous like yeah. compared to twitter where i feel like people are showing off too but it's different mm. like on instagram I do get the feeling everyone seems a bit more just generally happy for each other. I have. Someone else has said that to me. Kind of like LinkedIn. LinkedIn's very safe and friendly. Yes, it is. It, yeah, LinkedIn. It's like a safe space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> safe. yeah, but yeah. No, yeah, Instagram. Have you heard of the phrase Debtstagram? That's, I have. Okay, good. So this is new for me, but I find, again, I'm kind of repeating myself here, but it's kind of in- interesting how traditional Instagram is all about being aspirational because you have like the you know one has the designer handbag and spends their weekends at Soho farmhouse or whatever mm-hmm. but Destagram is being inspirational and kind of aspirational in a different way it's like okay I aspire to be debt free mm-hmm. by 2025 and here's here's a picture of my excel spreadsheet and here's a picture of how I saved 30p on this or whatever it might be mm-hmm. but they're so popular what what is it about what is it about that do you think that's kind of gaining traction like it's not when you think about it it doesn't sound that glamorous but they're kind of doing a good job of making it glamorous in a way I think people are tired of um what looks good on Instagram and they're ready for the real and I think that's what Instagram's providing like a community where people can feel like oh my gosh like yeah me too I'm in the situation and okay we're working towards it and I can go on Instagram and be reminded of the fact that I need to work towards that because you kind of need that constant push like hey remember this is the goal this is the goal so I think that's why it's becoming popular we've we've seen all the shiny pictures in the world with the fantastic skin and the great hair and the so so white teeth and you know the the bodies that are just impossible (laughs) to have with with a full-time job so I think now everyone's just ready for something that's a little more real and more comforting towards them that isn't just about your image yeah, I saw something the other day about some kind of crackdown on like influencers. I think it was someone from Love Island or something. Like she'd actually edited her image so much that it looked like she didn't look like herself at all. Mm. Almost looked like she'd had plastic surgery. So when people saw her in real life, she said, "No, no, no, don't take a picture of me because then people will know I'm so so different." So maybe it's part of that trend of kind of what you were saying about we've kind of reached peak. Yeah, glamorous about that must be hard for some of them. Like the fact that your image you're you're so dependent on your image to fund your life that must be hard because I personally crumble at it every time I personally think if I cared more about going to the gym and eating well and 
etc etc and taking pictures in nice clothes I think I'd do a lot better on Instagram but oh my gosh like but you're super glam like I'm seeing this as someone who doesn't like yeah I mean but there's so many levels to the glam yeah I guess (laughs) I could say that about someone else and you know so yeah I guess that's true um you've talked a lot about the language we use around money um and how you one should be kind of careful with that Mm. um in thinking like how you think about success how you think about your own wealth and I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about about how we should be careful does this ring bells because again I'm Mm. quoting something you said from the past yeah um I think it's really important that we were careful with the phrases we use about ourselves even when we're feeling not in the greatest place that when people are like I'm broke I don't think we should use that language I think it should just be like look right now I'm not in a great financial position but I'm getting there and everyone has different versions of what that means to them but being broke is as I don't know a homeless person could say they're not broke so do you know what I mean it's a bit like just be careful of the words you use it's a bit like saying so easily now because of the conversation of mental health has become so rife um I'm depressed or is it that you're just having a bad day like can we mm-hmm. use gentler words to define our situation without it sounding so ultimate so um yeah so easily defined can we do you think it helps if you're careful about your language is that helping other people as well as helping yourself like those no. around you um potentially yeah because mm. sometimes i find that i can be quite hard on myself and unfortunately that sometimes mean i've 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 been hard on others that I love and if they don't treat themselves that way they think like you're being so mean but I'm like I'm mean that way about myself Mm -hmm. so sometimes I'll say something like oh I'm so stupid and my friend will be like don't say that or be like don't say that about my friend yeah (laughs) and I'm like oh yeah sorry and I just forget that like everyone lives by their own standard of what they think is broke or rich or Mm. you know this or that that's why I say try to maybe not use such harsh terms yeah and talking of how we talk about money um how much further do you think we have to go in terms of being really open about what we earn like if you publish a book you might want to say how much you got as an advance or if Mm. you have a sponsor for a podcast you might want to say how much they've paid like I still get the feeling that even doing this money podcast mm. and even getting the chance to ask people slightly awkward questions I wouldn't normally ask them if mm. we went to get coffee, I still feel like there's a very big reluctance to talk directly about what people earn because of the showing off thing because they think they'll be judged or it might affect their friendships. What's your... Because you're in this money community, so what has your experience been? I don't think we need to be talking about how much people make. I think if you're between people in maybe your friendship circle it's fine to say you know my friend asked me once how much do you make and I told her um but it's not something I shout about because somebody could be like wow she's making a lot of money but I'm like yeah but do you know I'm the breadwinner in my house and this is where the conversation still needs to go so far because someone could be making a lot of money or not making much and then you start to make assumptions about how they should be living. Um, for example, someone told me the other day that they were having a conversation with their friends about money. And 
they always get this this girl's drinks and everything like that. And then they finally had to force it out of her, kind of like, how much do you earn? And because she does, like, odd jobs and she's an actress, you, you people just thought, oh, you know, you don't have much just for them to find out she's earning more than all of them. Mm. So it's not really about how much you earn. Yeah, and you've also talked about the fact that even if you earn a hell of a lot, it doesn't mean you're oh, financially yeah. Exactly. Literate. I know some people they they're a high earner and I've said to some of my friends especially when you come from backgrounds where maybe your parent um is or was an immigrant and then they came to this country they had you they set up a life here and I sometimes say to some of my friends how do you feel being the breadwinner in your house and then they're like it's hard and I'm like right okay I'm glad we're having this conversation because the things that you unpack the responsibilities that some of some people I know get so early on or don't get and they don't talk about. So for someone to now, you know, use it as a crux to how they should spend, that I think that's where the conversation could start to go left. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's less about how much you earn, but more about um, what your funds require of you. So how long have you been the breadwinner, if you don't mind me asking? Um a long-term thing well I'm the youngest of six I I won't I'm like kind of some would say I'm quite spoiled okay. <laughs> in my nature not necessarily spoiled financially but spoiled in my understanding and nature of the world and um how I've lived my lifestyle until mm. very recently mm. um my sister moved out maybe two two and a half three years ago okay. so yeah so how has that impacted you? Because you said there that it was hard. Like, is it a lot more stress? Is it just something that you think about more, say, if, like, there's a weird job situation going on? Like, how does it impact? No, luckily for my mum, regardless of that, so this is the thing, again, regardless of being the breadwinner, my mum has always tried, although I do pay rent at home, my mum tries to make me still feel like a child in the house, as opposed to... A, f- a full-blown adult who you need to take care of this you need to take care of that however I am quite cautious of the fact that my mum is like reaching retirement age and what does this mean for her what does it mean for me and that makes me think about my f- my finances mm. looking ahead so yeah uh, you have tweeted about that about you you know we could be our parents retirement, retirement plan. plan that's scary it's, it's very scary because it's a lot of pressure for some people, um, especially, like, I'm lucky that I have a lot of siblings, so it's, like, whatever the bill is, we're dividing it by six. Luckily, yeah. my mum made some good financial decisions for herself, so I do think she'll be taken care of by herself because she's made fantastic decisions, like buying a house in Brixton. You know what I mean? She can, yeah, you know, get a good return on that, but... Um, my partner is the oldest of six. Ooh. <laughs> so I feel like he's always been that kind of man of the house type of attitude, course. taking care of younger siblings. And that's like comes with his own his own pressures, I guess. Do you feel like you're the most, um, well, you've mentioned your siblings already, but do you feel like you're the most financially literate in terms of like your knowledge and no, no you're shaking your head? <laughs> okay. No, ironically. My oldest brother... And then I'd say my sister, who's the doctor, they're they're quite financially literate as well. But the issue I had and the reason I started talking about money is because they weren't talking to me about it. 
So there was just a lack of understanding of why is this happening and what does like what does this mean? And I was just and I started to feel like although I had access to that information inside, why don't people outside have access to that information? And more importantly, why aren't we talking about money in general? That was that was something that was big for me. That was an interesting way to get into it. So did you approach them and say, did you ask them, why why aren't you telling me? Why aren't you talking to me? Is it partly they wanted, as you said, your mum was doing, kind of keeping you a little bit like a kid? Yeah, I don't know. I guess people just make assumptions or they just think, oh, they'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, like with everything else. Yeah, I think Mm. there's a lot of things you have to figure out. You have to figure out your friendships. You have to figure out your relationships for yourself. But I think when it comes to things like money and maybe even career just some guidance on it would be great yeah tell me you about know it. apparently women retire on 20 percent of what men do mm. 20 not 20 less 20 oh right yeah no okay all oh, right okay. yeah so like a fifth oh geez yeah and that can be so scary when you mm. think of the fact that a woman's obviously more likely to stay at home and say you know i'll raise the kids or i'll stay off work a little longer um you know the sacrifices she has to make in general as a mother she's the one who's more likely to go and maybe pick up the kids and he works the long hours and you know god forbid there's some sort of split mm-hmm. you, you then think about how does that continue to impact her and the, the cost of the life she was living before was that as a result of you know that their partner being in the picture and there's just so many things to decide yeah that's that's, I don't, again, I just don't think about the future and this is the wrong thing to do. What do you think is the biggest money mistake you've you've made so far? Um, thinking that credit card, a credit card is my friend. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just, it feels... And also just, yeah, kind of with that, telling yourself that, oh, I can pay it off later, I can do it later. And like now I'm using the time to just be like actually you know I've done what I can with my credit score and now I just kind of want to close my account yeah I was gonna say because we are encouraged left right and center I think you should use it at some point especially before you want to make an investment of like buying a house yeah I think it's really important that you do but I'd say just open it and close it because even if you do close it I know it's good to maybe have some line of credit however you have to think about the credit the credit checks you get the credit you need when if you decide to buy a house you need to get furniture and then you get that and you're paying every month for example so Mm -hmm. it all adds up and talking of houses you mentioned before that on an event that you were on track to buying a house and then yeah you had like personal challenges which meant that you threw you off course a bit would you mind talking a little bit about that and how you responded and what did you learn from that situation so I I played around with my money for a while. That's how I started the Bola Soul show. It was self-funded. And um, and I thought, I literally thought, oh yeah, that show, it's going to, I don't know, someone's going to pick it up. It's going to make great money and it didn't. So, so it was a great way for me to just learn that, you know, you can have fantastic ideas, you can put your money behind it, but it doesn't always mean it's going to manifest in the way you think. And then after that, I think when I just started thinking to myself, do you know what, it's time to get serious and buy a house. My dad passed away and he didn't have like um, life insurance. So which meant that obviously you're having to fork out for the funeral and things like that. And, you know, we had to go back to Nigeria and um, that 
was like, I didn't have a lot of savings, but I was well on my way to having, you know, enough if I stayed on that track. And then I just kind of felt like, oh man, I have to start again. And then I was made like redundant from a pro- like a project I was working on within six months of my dad passing. And I was like, and that was all last year, towards the end of last year. So I was like, Ugh. so I'm now spending the next the whole of this year and a little bit of next year just trying to get back on track and it's the most aggravating thing of my life because I'm used to kind of you know I can be a little off track but I can usually fix it in like a month so it's never that bad so to be in this position now I'm like oh my gosh like adulthood has hit in a way I had no idea it could hit Mm. so um how are you getting back on track what kind of things are you having to do Live on a lot less, shop at Lidl, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which I actually love. I like Lidl now. Lidl's um, pretty good, I must say, yeah. Yeah, I you know, I don't get my nails done anymore and that's not a big deal. I don't do my hair as often. Um, so probably, ironically, that's one of the reasons I've backed away from social media. I don't buy as many clothes anymore. Mm-hmm. I try to just be like, okay, let me not have this constant flow of clothes coming in, clothes coming out what can I just wear and stick with and um I have to go to swap you know the clothes swapping events exactly clothes swaps every week literally so um I think it's just about learning a new lifestyle and it's helping me think long term whereas before it was very not necessarily short-term living because buying a house isn't short-term but just thinking of the fact that even if you have everything okay you can't control everything and sometimes not having control of everything means that um your financial situ- situation may take a hit because of it yeah um i just want to say i love the bolo social i thought it was oh, brilliant thank you you were like a british wendy williams sitting there <laughs> with your armchair and right so, so a few people have said the wendy williams thing thank you yeah i actually did a um presentation at sony and they were like they loved it and i just i was thinking so where are the people who are gonna <laughs> love it enough to like help me fund it but you know it, it was it, cool it how did you get dead. that live studio audience how does that work just community online some some people are obviously my friends and i'm ever so grateful to all of them who were there they were great they, they were, were amazing throwing themselves in answering all kinds of oh i asked them they were plants <laughs> no i asked them some of them were okay. plants and i was like please i don't want everyone to be quiet okay but it became a fantastic safe space yeah to discuss things and that um <clears throat> in the last few years even before my show so many people have started building those spaces i definitely say like just it sounds weird but within like the social media community as well now you just see someone post something you like them or you like their work and you're like yeah i'll support so like december 1st my friend's having a show um the dysonomic show and it's, he's talking about the the general election coming up that's a general election special but then my friends on the same day they're launching their like is it like a like a comic show mm-hmm. yeah so i see all of that stuff online and i'm like okay brilliant i'm gonna go out and support so yeah just find your online community like and they'll come yeah comes back have you listened to you know that podcast how to fail by elizabeth day and the concept all about through failure you kind of learn better to succeed and all this kind of thing um and you were talking there about wishing that the ball of social had had got funding what have you learned from that because obviously 
we're going to continue to in general we're both can i presume do our own thing and hope mm. it works out and we might put money into it etc so i presume you're going to continue to do that in some respect mm. so what would your advice be because that was a great project it looked great like it maybe didn't go the way you wanted it to longer term but mm. what have you learned from it and how will you do it next time oh what have i learned from it um i've learned that just get a good forecast down and keep costs down just because you have the money it doesn't mean that you need to like use all of it Mm -hmm. do you know especially when it's your own money yeah um i think what i'd learn is that there are companies out there who actually have the money and who can help you it's just about finding them and that's the bit that may take quite a while and hopefully in that time you don't lose motivation because I know people who've built great companies um and they've got funding and um or they've started something and then they've got funding so for example there's like podcasts and it's now on Spotify or um I saw that about the receipts yeah yeah exactly Yeah, yeah so that's fantastic so it's out there and I think if I did continue maybe somebody would have been like hello but it was just too costly and I kind of needed someone to say hello a lot sooner but it makes me think about the UK market because I personally think if I started that in the US the reaction would have been different interesting yeah maybe next next time yeah (laughs) I'll tune in to HBO and I'll see (laughs) hey that would be nice but you know it's it's still there I feel like I I made a solid product and I feel like I could still shop it now if I decided to so I think also like it always comes back to privilege in a way because like I think because I'm from Edinburgh and every year we have the Edinburgh Fringe and it's Mm. known as this amazing place like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and people like that were scouted from doing their shows there but the only people that can afford to set up these shows and to put on the production and everything and give up their time for free are people who have that money correct to begin with so that's why we like I think she's great, but that's why we end up with these people, in my opinion, all from the same kind of place, same background, because they started in that way. Yeah, literally. Like, I think one time someone told me that Sam Smith, you know, he was working on his own career, but someone said that his mum has quite a bit of money, so she helped him. And I think that's fantastic, but sometimes I think we need to go out of our way to think about people who don't have that privilege and think about how we can support them. And that kind of brings me on to something else I wanted to ask you about imposter syndrome because you've Mm. talked very articulately about that. But then recently we've read articles about how imposter syndrome is actually like distracting us from the fact that there's a massive problem, like a class problem in Britain and, you know, people at the top who who are part of that elite and who are very entitled and privileged. Mm. The reason imposter syndrome exists, according to this article in The Guardian I read, was because all the rest of us are, are feeling like we need to fit in with them. And if we don't, then we're constantly struggling against feeling like we don't we're, we don't belong. Do you mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm wondering what's your personal feelings about imposter syndrome? Like, is that something you feel? Do you think it's something that maybe as women and money, etc., we should feel? I think it's it's definitely something I feel. I've never thought about it in relation to class because... Um, I know people with money who still feel like imposters. I don't, do you know what I mean? I think for me though, you're right, that could have something to do with it. I guess maybe it does have something to do with like class and privilege because I can stand up and be like, okay, um, I'm going to speak 
with a bank and I'm going to be on a panel and I could inside be feeling like, um, but your finances aren't all there and no one's taught you how to speak on a panel and, you know, you could start chipping away at the negatives in your life or the things that you view as negative and start saying, well, I don't feel like I belong there. But sometimes you're right as well. I I, I go to some of those panels and do them because I think it's really important that people see can see themselves in me even if it's like even if I say look I'm I'm not perfect and I don't always get it right I think it's important that many people can see that yeah. and see that okay well if she did it you know I can as well and things like that yeah I've noticed from your tweets you talk quite a lot about um your religion and your faith and that kind of thing um and you, I think you tweeted once that you were just tweeting to keep yourself, keep yourself on on track, basically. Like yeah. you're doing it for your own mental health as well. Like I find that really, really interesting. And some of your tweets have had massive response. Like people <laughs> obviously see something, something in that too. Oh, my friend's also John Boyega, so he tends to just tweet me. Oh, I mean, nice. retweet me. <laughs> like, I go back on Twitter after two days. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, but I think. I think that's interesting. How does your religion factor into... Because you talk about being purpose-driven and that kind of thing. Yeah. So how does how does your faith influence how you feel about material? I guess because some of this discussion mm. is material. We can't hide away from no, that. No, we can't. Um, I guess my faith just helps me think about things that are bigger than myself. So as we said, you know, um, I had a mentor um, who spoke the other day in a... In a and it was in a like a private group club and he he's a lot older and he said you know your generation is one of the most selfish generations I've ever seen and that and it was a shame because I could resonate with that and the reason I'm talking about that because I think it's about how much I'm choosing to give so for example the whole point of my faith is that I'm actually there to also serve other people and at times I feel like maybe talking about finances I can help serve other people in doing better things with their money but then I also think about okay like what am I giving so for example in this time that I'm studying or some other times I I will literally just recommend someone else and you know if it's a paid opportunity fantastic most of the time it usually is or some great coverage um so I'd I'd, I'd say like my faith is about reminding me that my purpose is bigger than me you know being on a panel where you experience imposter syndrome mm. is is bigger than me yeah Mm. I think women like yeah we it's so important to like stick up and champion each other and we could probably do with more of that better job yeah like do you ever get the feeling because you've you know you've got a lot of experience being on panels do you ever feel as a woman as a black woman etc like people are taking the box like that feeds into the whole imposter syndrome thing like or we just need one woman that kind of thing Mm. or do you think that we've built there's like enough of a kind of financial woman financial community that that doesn't need to happen I think a bit of both okay I still sometimes think is it ticking the box and then if I do I'm like okay how can I make this you know a positive experience that isn't just about ticking the box Mm -hmm. but then I also think there's so many women in the community um who are talking about money but I think it's like you also have to you now have to tap into different things and that's one of the the things I'm most grateful for in this 
um, generation, you have to tap into race, you have to tap into class, you have to tap into dis- disability. Because I could be here, I could, you know, see a, a white woman talking about um, finances and she could say, oh, my dad only left me three houses. And I'll be like, my mom moved here with nothing and um, I have zero houses. Yeah. Um, I have nothing, everything. I have is from everything I've earned I have very little and then a disabled woman could come along and say look at you two (laughs) thinking you're all of that this is what I go through so I think it's about opening up the conversation in general and having empathy for situations you're not in and kind of having a scope to realize there is there is more going on than the situation you're in and um everybody kind of has a struggle and we need to make space at a table for everyone to have a conversation yeah and I think people are getting better at opening up about their struggles but I don't know if people are getting better at admitting their privilege no they don't want to that people... I'm not saying I'm the right person to be the voice of those who don't have privilege whatever but I just think what I notice in journalism where I work is like people are happy to admit it. I've said this in a previous episode, just like an old record, but mm. people are happy to admit it as long as it's on their own terms, but they don't want it to be used against them. To oh, take away absolutely. From their absolutely. And I see why I wouldn't like it if somebody did that to me or like, just nobody wants to feel cornered regardless of the privilege you come from. Nobody as a human wants to feel that way. And then you can start to feel guilty. You know, I could talk to someone and be like, oh it's so annoying like you know my mom makes me pay rent and someone could say well my mom kicked me out when I was 16 and all I've ever done is pay rent and I'm like right it's time to shut up (laughs) (laughs) the the whole point is that we can all go through periods of our life where we feel like guilt for the privilege we have and we all have different forms of privilege but as you said we um need to yeah just not be ashamed of it just take gratitude in it but also spare a thought for someone else and yeah see how we can maybe include them still i wonder what is the best way to admit your privilege it's kind of like asking someone oh how can i be an ally i I don't i think that's not a great question i know people get annoyed when people are asked that really a little bit like i've heard people say oh yeah how can i be an ally to you or if a man says how can I be an ally to you a woman for example and be like well that's such a hard question would you say give me money (laughs) (laughs) yeah like it's I don't know I don't know what what area I'm stepping into here with that but I think yeah it must be really hard as you say if you've got three if you've been given three houses or whatever in your whole career is is about giving money tips well you're not going to open up about that are you yeah I would say the maybe the answer to your question how can I be an ally is create a partnership with them mm-hmm. you know even if it's just like you meet with them three to four times a year ask how you're doing and then you start to factor in so it's, it's a bit no I don't want to say like it's like that's why I've said partnership and not mentorship but when you you meet with a mentor you think okay how can I be of service to you and sometimes it's one person giving a bit more service than the other but I think it would be fantastic it, it would be great if you could if you could like sit with someone who maybe has more privilege and is willing to help and they're like okay so this is maybe where you want to go next in your career well I'm I'm happy to be um one of your references or mm-hmm. I know this person who works at this company I'm happy to do that so maybe give that person opportunities and resources how much do you think that career success because I know you've talked before about success isn't defined by money mm. but how much is career success driven by 
strategy and having a mentor and knowing exactly where you're going but or how much is it driven rather by just good luck and having built maybe like a network of people who can help you because in my experience it does seem like there's a hell of a lot of luck good luck Mm. that you you need sometimes because you can never control everything Mm. like you might take one path and someone takes completely different path and you don't even know how it happened it just happened over a long period of time and you you can't explain why that person's ended up there and you're here or whatever mm. so I'm just wondering how do we because I guess I'm not a great believer personally in because I don't plan in <laughs> strategy for the long term so what what do you think gets us there to where we want to be wherever that is preparation okay so yeah, it's weird. You, you spoke about luck. I don't really believe in luck. Do you not? No. Okay. <laughs> I think I, I just believe in like preparation, and that that will steer you towards certain opportunities. So, for example, when I was on the panel with Vestpod, um, I guess preparing for that is obviously going attending. And had I not gone, maybe that would have been one of the resources you used to find me. I think a lady from Stylist found me that way. So sometimes I think it was preparing for that by being on other panels that helped me go to that. And I think everything, all the dots connect, but you know, you can't always control them. You can see them going backwards, but not going forwards. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but it's weird because as soon as you spoke about that and, you know, career and profession, I just started thinking about men and the fact that sometimes has nothing to do with preparation or luck or whatever it is for them. They, they're they just a man. They just... And they can just... I'm looking at Hugh right now. <laughs> I'm joking, Hugh. <laughs> but, like, they can, they can be in the middle of Canary Wharf and, like, wear a shirt and trousers and they'll be like, you, you look like you could be a manager, let's go. Right. <sighs> perceptions. That's, perceptions, that's crazy. And I'd be standing there maybe in the same thing, like, what's she doing? The androgyny look. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Yeah, I've seen that happen so often in even in like my office or other offices that men just get, you know, thrown. So yeah, you be the next leader because that's what they're so used to doing. So we just have to change. What, so many things. people who look like them or just presuming that they can just do exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Presuming. A lot of men, what do they say? They say like men will see 30% of things they can do on a job spec and go for the role. Yeah. Whereas women will see 30% they can't do. And... um yeah, I think that's how the world continues to see things. Like, just pick a man and he'll get it done. It's so depressing. Let's let's finish on a positive note because well, you, well, as women, <laughs> no, as women, we're getting there, and that's yeah. why I say it's so important that we're more confident in our rights and wrongs. Yeah, definitely. But I wanted to ask you about your post um, about stylist because I think that's a really inspirational story and oh. it feeds into what you said about preparation and all the dots coming together. So. Tell me about how that happened and the fact you went, you wanted to be part included. of it. Yeah. yeah, so last year, my friend, she runs a very successful um, media agency called Vamp. And she was like, oh, it was actually, oh, it was this time last year. And she said, oh, do you want to come to um, Stylist, um, the yearly event? And I said, oh, yes, please, I'd love to. So I came along and... I sat down and I asked a random person to take, to take a picture of me and I, I looked and I peeped and I saw someone was doing the money the money panel. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I was just like, man. And I literally took the picture and ca- um, captioned it like, hopefully me next year or something like that or hopefully me soon. So then when they reached out to me this year, I was like, 
that's when I, you know, decided to write that and speak about, you know, why words are so important, like what we were talking about earlier and said that it's so important to like manifest the things that you want. I absolutely love stylist. Unfortunately, now I drive to work. I don't get it anymore <laughs> and it really upsets me. But stylist is like the one piece of news I want to like learn new things and you know facts and what's going on in the world and I love to read like the woman at the end like five minutes with this person yeah. and I'm like wow you're amazing you get about 4 30 every day and stuff and that was it it was I think it's literally the highlight of my year and the fact that they're partnered with NatWest and that was the first person I had my bank account with I was like I really have to take this in that like this is wait so did I miss something so you captioned you were like I really want to be part of this a year ago and then yeah. a year later I was you were yeah okay that's, I think that's the part I missed yeah okay that's pretty cool yeah I love stylists too I don't live near a tube so I don't get it either but so yeah. we're just stylist leave out so now I have to so now I'm going to take inspiration from this and like Instagram myself in front of various companies I want to work for and be like hopefully <laughs> don't get me, me. oh I made a vision board and I think there's so many things I'm like lol that didn't come true that didn't come true well we have a month and a half left but I'm like that didn't come true but then when you start to look at the things that did you're like oh so you take, know. at least take some things off yeah yeah exactly I'm more of a lister than a vision board but yeah I might try that but thank you so much that was really interesting really fun thank you for having me thank you Thank you for listening to An Honest Account. I'd be really thrilled if you rated, left review, subscribed or all of the above to this podcast. You can tweet us at honest underscore account underscore. We're also on Instagram or you can email us at contact at an honest account dot co dot UK and see you next week.